Since 2017, the Italian Wine Podcast has exploded, recently hitting 6 million listens. Support us by buying a copy of Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0 or making a small donation. In return, we'll give you the chance to nominate a guest and even win lunch with Stevie Kim and Professor Attilio Scienza. Find out more at italianwinepodcast.com. Chin chin. Welcome to Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Listen in as we journey to some of Italy's most beautiful places in the company of those who know them best, the families who grow grapes and make fabulous wines. Through their stories, we will learn not just about their wines, but also about their ways of life, the local and regional foods and specialities that pair naturally with their wines, and the most beautiful places to visit. We have a wonderful journey of discovery ahead of us, and I hope you will join me. Welcome to Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Today we travel to Abruzzo to meet Giuseppe Mazzarosa of Cantine Mazzarosa, an historic winery located in Rosetto degli Abruzzi. Giuseppe, many, many thanks for being my guest today. How are you today and how are things in Abruzzo? Thank you so much, Mark. It's actually a honor to be a guest of the Italian White Coast podcast. Uh, this is a platform that truly celebrates the rich tapestry of Italian white culture. Um, I'm doing very well. I'm speaking here from Abruzzo, uh, from Roseto, and we are actually in a national reservoir located. Okay, well, just uh, to give our listeners a vivid picture of where you are, the landscape, the terrain. Describe a little bit about where you are. It's important, I think, for us to be able to visualize. So we are in the northern part of Abruzzo, uh, close to the Teramo city, and we are very close to the sea. And we are about 1.5 kilometers away from the sea. The vineyards are located around 200 meters above sea level. They are on a hill facing southwards. The vineyard, we're in a very interesting spot uh, because we are in between the Gran Sasso mountain, which is the highest peak from this center Italy, and the sea. So we have this mixture of uh, winds, uh, the cold breezes that blew uh, from the Gran Sasso, and then the sea breezes that blew during the day from the sea. This affects, in a particular way, the winery. And also, we are very close to the Vomano River, and we can actually see it from our vineyards. The river also adds an interesting effect on the wine. Okay, that's a very good description, Giuseppe. I'm imagining this Gran Sasso, this mighty mountain, sometimes covered in snow. Is that right? Exactly. That is right. And there are some ski slopes on top of it. Yes. And yet you're still only a kilometer and a half from the sea. So that's such an interesting environment to be growing grapes. Now, Mazzarosa is an historic winery. You mentioned the date of its foundation right around the time of the unification of the Italian nation. So you go back a very long time. Tell us a little bit about the history of the wine estate. It's a pioneering winery, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And actually, the pioneer, the founder of the winery was a senator, so a politician in the first Italian kingdom. So 
We are in the very early days of the Italian kingdom, just at the beginning. So around the unification of Italy, we are talking about 1861. And uh, Giuseppe de Vincenzi was a politician, quite an interesting politician, because he was, let's say, exiled from Italy because he had an argument with the previous king. Before the unification of Italy, uh, there was a king of the southern Italy, king of the two Sicilies. He was reigning all of the southern region up until the center, up until the Abruzzo, up until where the Pope was. And the senator had an argument with him and he was exiled from Italy because he was against slavery, um, in contrast with the king who was pro-slavery. While he was out, he had uh, the opportunity to travel a lot in France and in England. And from France, he stayed uh, a long time in the Burgundy area, and uh, he was able to explore a lot the advancement that they had done there with the vinification process. And so when he was called back to Italy uh, to do the first Minister of Agriculture, in the Italian kingdom, he also decided to open a winery, among many of the things that he did. And he brought back what he saw and studied in Burgundy. He brought it back to Italy. So it's a, it's an example of modern vinification, one of the first examples of modern vinification that we find in central Italy. Well, that's a fascinating story, going right back, uh, as you say, the origins of the Italian nation, but bringing a modern outlook at that time. So it is a pioneering winery, and you're continuing that pioneering work today. Tell us a little bit about your operation, how you are cultivating the vines today. At the moment, I am representing the sixth generations after Senator De Vincenzi. Since the early days, we've always strived for a commitment to the environment and as well as respect for our workforce. Just to give you a couple of examples of this, in terms of sustainability, the area that we are currently covering with the vineyard and with the winery, it's included now in a national reservoir. And so they built a national reservoir and just on the little piece of land that was not, let's say, uh, constructed, and they took advantage of. It's mostly all covering on our fields, and this is because we've been quite a fierce we didn't want to build and overbuild the environment and preserve it the way it was. Um, in terms of uh, respect uh, for the workforce, in the early days, Senator Giuseppe De Vincenzi, he envisioned a Sarah that would work with gravity. Now, this is something that we see quite a lot and we're quite used to see in modern cellars, but it was not something common back in the days. And the way he did it in gravity, he had a, a water elevator that would bring up the grapes once they were freshly harvested. And then he had a system of uh, carriages, a system of rails and trolleys to bring around the grape on the top floor. And then they would be dropped down directly in the barrels. And this was made to avoid the hard work that would be required to bring the grapes up manually, which was the common way to do things uh, back in the days. Well, that's fascinating. So he was really an innovative thinker and looking at ways to work more efficiently as well as to produce better wine. Exactly, exactly. So an approach to sustainability has been part of the winemaking philosophy, work in the vineyard as well as in the cellar then from the outset. Exactly, yes. Being nestled within the Reserva del Borsacchio, 
which is the nature reserve we have here. We feel deep responsibility towards uh, nutriting and preserving the natural habitat. Our vineyards are tended with the utmost respect for the environment, and we try to avoid the use of added sulfites in the wine production. And the holistic approach, coupled with sustainable viticulture practices, has earned us the SQNPI certification, which is a recognition from the European Union of Environmental Sustainability and Integrated Agriculture. Uh, we can also see this in the way we work. Now, Giuseppe, you were telling me a little bit about some of the challenges of this particular year, this year when it's been so hot and it's brought problems to the vineyard. But does this sustainable viticulture actually allow you to cope with extreme conditions more successfully? Actually, it makes it more challenging. So it's, of course, when you go for uh, sustainability, you go for integrated agriculture, you have a less restricted area of operation. So you can use, let's say, less leverages to contrast the problems. For example, in Abruzzo, we had this year a lot of downy mildew. We are talking in general in some regions, in some parts of the south of Abruzzo, of around 30 to 50% loss in yield. And this is mostly because we are not used to a climate like the one that was this year, where there was lots of heat and together with lots of rains. And actually the problem was because of the rains, because it rained so much in such a short period of time, and maybe there was also some floodings in many of the areas close by to us, and the problem was that many producers were not able to enter the fields and uh, provide the treatment to the vineyards. Luckily for us, we were able to do it early enough. So we did the treatment a couple of days before the heavy rains, so and that got us quite well saved from this downy mildew. And then, of course, as soon as we had the occasion to enter the fields, we would go in and, and do some more treatments. And uh, I guess that this is the challenge in the sustainability of the product that you can use. You have to do uh, more control and more monitoring of the vineyards because they're not very powerful, of course. Wine to Wine Business Forum. Everything you need to get ahead in the world of wine. Supersize your business network. Share business ideas with the biggest voices in the industry. Join us in Verona on November 13 to 14, 2023. Tickets available now at pointwine.net. Okay, so rather than spraying strong chemicals, you're doing more holistic treatments to control the problem, but it does mean more, more attention and more work in the vineyards. Well, Giuseppe, let's talk about the wines that Mazzarosa produces, the most important wines. And I'm really thinking about the classic wines of Trebbiano d'Abruzzo, Cerasuolo, and Montepulciano d'Abruzzo. So Mazzarosa Winery, this is also another thing that distinguishes us. We try to use autochthonous varieties and we only vinify with 100%. Each wine is 100% of that variety. We don't do any blends. We have three different main grapes. It's uh, the Montepulciano, the Pecorino, and the Trebbiano. And of course, with the Montepulciano, we are able to produce as well the Cerasuolo. So overall, we produce three different types of Montepulciano, one of Cerasuolo, uh, one Pecorino, and one Trebbiano. These are very historical varieties in our area. 
except the Pecorino, which had a race at a, quite a moment 10 years ago, and, and it became quite popular, but it's not seen as one of the most historical varieties. Okay, well, let's start with the Trebbiano d'Abruzzo. Tell us a little bit about this wine, how you produce it, and the style of wine you're looking to make. So, our Trebbiano, we try to leave the wine as untouched as possible. So, one of our philosophies is to try not to amend the wine in the cellar, but to have the nature and the year and the vintage uh, make the difference in the wine, the weather, of course. And so what we try to do with the Trebbiano is we have it quite cold. We put it in the stainless steel. It stays there for uh, six months and then it stays uh, six months in the bottle. We don't do any woods. Our Trebbiano is quite elegant and structured and it has a touch of minerality. Then again, it can be connected to the proximity with the sea and some lemon notes as well. Is this great variety that Trebbiano Abruzzese? Yes, it's actually a Trebbiano d'Abruzzo, which is not to be confused with the Trebbiano of Tuscany. Yes, right. Okay, that's important. A much fuller style of wine, a wine that we'll be discussing in a minute that will go with food very well. The Cerasuolo is an interesting wine as well. Tell us about your Cerasuolo, Giuseppe. Yes, so Cerasuolo, it's a wine that it's made 100% from the Montepulciano grape. Sometimes we do a short maceration, which is around 12 hours on the skins. In some years, it's not even needed because with the crushing, the grape juice is already in contact with the skins enough time to give it its uh, natural color, which is a very strong pink color and very different from the rosé that are most commonly known, the, the Provencal rosé. The idea of the Cerasuolo is that it's a rosé wine uh, that goes very well along with a full course not a typical rosé that is usually used just for, for appetizers. Okay, so it's a much fuller and color, fuller in structure, fuller in body. It's a, a serious rosato. Exactly, exactly. Just to give you an idea, our uh, Cerasuolo of last year had 14.5 degrees in alcohol. So you can imagine the structure that it had and the body as well. Okay, that sounds uh, very powerful. It's a wine I like very much when you come across uh, the good, well-made example. So I look forward to tasting that. And the Montepulciano d'Abruzzo, would you say this is the flagship of your estate? Yes, indeed. The Montepulciano is the grape that we have the most production of and uh, we have the highest, the most amount of hectares of Montepulciano. We do it in three different uh, versions. Two of them are DOCG because, again, the area that I described earlier is a very small area, and it's called Colline Terramane, and they got the first DOCG in Abruzzo region. And so two of our wines are DOCG. We have a regular Montepulciano DOCG and then a version that does wood and ages for very long, and it's the Reserva. And then we have a new, let's say, a new experiment that we did a couple of years ago, which was quite interesting, and it's the Verenovo Montepulciano that is a DOC. And we experiment for the first time the whole bunch of vinification with the Montepulciano grape. Okay. What style does that give then? It gives a style, it's gentle, it's more gentle in tanning than the regular Montepulciano. And it's actually an interesting effect because when we vinify, we put 30% of 
full grapes of whole bunches. This is together with the rasps as well inside of the stainless steel barrel. And what this does is, of course, the rasps, they have their own tannin, which is quite strong, but it somehow balances out with the tannins of the Montepulciano, which of course is known as well as a quite a tannic grape. They kind of complement each other and uh, turn down overall the effect is of a more gentle tannin. And then, of course, it has some black notes of cherry on the palate. And it's a very interesting expression of the Montepulciano. It has touch of, I think that the whole bunch gives uh, a touch of uh, white pepper as well, of a bouquet uh, of uh, dried raspberries, uh, flowers. But it's not the common kirsch that we have with whole bunches. It's something quite different. Oh, that sounds very interesting. Now, Giuseppe, all of these three wines that you've described so well, I'm imagining that this landscape that you're in with the sea nearby and the beautiful hills leading up to the Gran Sasso, there's a range of cuisines from mountain as well as from sea, and your range of wines would go very well with them. Tell us some of the typical dishes of both of Abruzzo, maybe more specifically of where you are, and how those dishes would pair with your wines. In Abruzzo, it's a region where we are at, as I said, it's in between the sea and the mountains. It's very famous internationally now for the arrosticino, which is a lamb meat that is cooked on kind of like barbecue uh, style. So lamb is one of the cuts of meat that is most famous for in Abruzzo. I'm just thinking of those arrosticini on skewers, small pieces of lamb threaded on the skewers and cooked over charcoal. Is that right? That, that is right. That is yeah, right. it's a delicious, one of my favorite things. And what wine would you enjoy with that? So for example, for the arrosticini, the red wine is very good. Our classical Montepulciano or our uh, whole bunch, Montepulciano, or again, as well, the Cerasuolo. As I said, it's an interesting rosé, and it has quite a large spectrum of plates that it can be combined with. We can start from uh, uh, slightly some vegetable soup, some uh, white meat, some fish soup, but again, it also gets to a spectrum where it can cover uh, white meats, and in this case, we tried it with the lamb of the Rosticini, and it's uh, it's very, very good combination. So if you were getting together with your friends, would you fire up the grill and cook those arrosticini and stand around enjoying that with an aperitivo, or would it be more as part of a meal? So the, the arrosticini, it is part of a meal. And we actually did it uh, a couple of uh, weeks ago. We had the uh, whole staff of the winery enjoying a night. And we did a corporate event and we just stayed in the space that we have in front of us. We are below the olive oil trees and uh, we turned on the fire and we cooked some arrosticini and we had them with cerasuolo. And it was a very, very good combination. But yes, the arrosticini, we had them as main course for dinner because it's quite a, a strong plate to have. So. Uh, definitely part of a very interesting dinner. Uh, for example, some people do it in the winter, especially. Aha, uh -huh. that sounds very, very nice. What about the typical fish of Abruzzo, a typical fish dish to enjoy with your white wine or your Cerasuolo, wines that are quite powerful in character? So, for example, we have 
there is a very typical fish uh, broth that is very common. There is another thing that it's given as an appetizer. It's called, uh, they call it fish salad, but it's not actually, it has calamari and squid. That's cold cuts uh, with lemon. It's a very natural plate. doesn't have uh, much uh, technique to it, uh, but it's delicious. I'm trying to think, for example, the linguine or or the chitarrina, which are some very common plates here. You can mix them with lots of types of fish, uh, for example, uh, shrimps or, or some local uh, small fish that are fish uh, in front of here. Okay, so it's a really rich and varied cuisine in Abruzzo with the pasta dishes as well as the meat and the fish. So it's quite a wonderful cuisine to enjoy with your range of wines. Yes, yes, indeed. What would be the most typical pasta then? So here in the area, uh, we are in the Teramo area, and there is a pasta that is called uh, Chitarrina alla Teramana. It's a little bit of where the spaghetti with meatballs came from because uh, it has, it has this, uh, this very, very small meatballs. Um, they are about the size of penny or something like this. And then it has the chitarrina, which is a handmade pasta, sort of like a spaghetti, but cut very thin. And it has egg as the main component, as this fresh pasta. It just goes with a tomato sauce. And sometimes here they put on almost every plate the chili pepper. And it's called saitane in the language, in the Abruzzo dialect. I think the best combination for this place is just to put on top this red chili oil, virgin olive oil mixed with red chili, and it, it makes up for a very good pasta. That sounds wonderful. Again, that would then go with the Montepulciano d'Abruzzo? Uh, yes, in that case, yes. Giuseppe, is the area you are in, is it an area of tourism? It's uh, growing. It's an interesting area. I believe it's on the rise. It's not as well known for tourism as I believe the typical Abruzzian tries to preserve its land and the common idea that it was, it's we need to keep it safe from tourists in some ways. And so historically, it's not a, a place where tourism has developed a lot. If it did develop, it developed along the coast, but not in the beautiful insights where these marvelous views of the hills are. These are very different hills from the Tuscan one, for example, because the Tuscan one is a gentle hill where you can see very far away in view. And here, the, the hills, they tend to go up and down very sharp. It's different, but it's also a very beautiful view in my mind. I believe uh, there is a region very close to us. It, it's Puglia, and the northern part of Puglia, which is the, the closest one to us, has developed very interestingly in tour because of tourism, and it was able to attract lots of tourists. And so I believe Abruzzo is following a similar path, although it's a few steps behind. Uh, but I believe it could become one of the most interesting regions to visit. And there are two things to remember. Abruzzo was mentioned to be the greenest region in Europe last year. This was a very big win for the wine sector in Abruzzo. It was uh, mentioned by wine enthusiasts as wine region of the year. And I think that contributed to attract uh, lots of interest, especially for wine tourism.
Well, that is very interesting and particularly relevant to our listeners who do like to travel and visit some of the places that we talk about. So Giuseppe, if any of our listeners would like to visit Cantine Mazzarosa, what are the opportunities to do so? We offer lots of different attractions to tourists. We have three main experiences that we offer. And one of them is, let's say, a regular tasting, but it's not the common tasting that you find in a winery. We are talking here about five different wines that are tasted. And it's a two-hour tasting that goes where the enologist of the winery comes out and explains directly how you do the winery, how he does the wine. And as well, this is together with the winery tour, which is, again, our winery is a bit of an attraction because of its age. Inside of the cellar, we have a second largest wooden barrel in Europe. Oh my, how big? It's 100,000 liters. Wow. And so that would be the equivalent of 1,000 hectoliters. It's a giant. The room was built around the barrel just to make sure that it fit inside. And the funny story, the idea there was that in the past, because the wine would be delivered by many different producers, every farmer did its wine in the backyard and then it would turn it into the winery for vinification. And what was difficult there was to have a homogeneous wine. Have a large quantity of homogeneous wine was very difficult. So again, the genius of the senator thought that the solution to this was just to have a very large wooden barrel. And so that's where, where, where it came from. So that large barrel dates back to the origins of the winery. Exactly. Exactly. Is it still used? No, actually not. Actually not. It's not used. And now I guess for sanitary reasons, it's not of use. We cannot uh, use it anymore. But yeah. it's still there. But still part of the history of the estate. Exactly, exactly. And then just to complete on the tourism, we also offer a safari tour where we bring people on a jeep, the tourists or visitors on a jeep, and we take them directly to our wineyards, which are a couple of kilometers away from the cellar. And we explain to them, for example, this year we are explaining a bit on the downy meal deal. So it's a short masterclass on vineyard management. And then we have some picnics. Uh, so for people who just want to come and relax, um, we offer a picnic. Uh, in the... Okay. Well, those sound like very, very interesting options. And your description of Abruzzo as a region to visit will have made our listeners wish to visit, I'm sure, because it's an area that is still so beautiful and majestic, much less visited than areas like Tuscany or maybe even up the coast in Le Marche, but which really deserves to be discovered, not least for its wines and its wonderful foods. Giuseppe, thank you so much for telling us the story of Cantine Mazzarosa, for explaining the wines you're producing today and sharing a little bit about life and food and wine in your corner of Italy. Thank you so much, and I hope the harvest goes well, and uh, I look forward to following your story and to meeting sometime in the future. Mark, I must say it has been a very pleasant conversation with you, and uh, thank you for having us, and we look forward for welcoming some wine enthusiasts to our historic winery. Thank you very much, Giuseppe. A presto. A presto. Thank you. Ciao. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Wine, Food and Travel with me, Mark Millen, on Italian Wine Podcast. Please remember to like, share and subscribe right here or wherever you get your pods. 
Likewise, you can visit us at italianwinepodcast.com. Until next time, chin chin.